You know you're old. When you want to show someone a picture of your kids because you're proud of your kids, you want to show off what your kids look like, you pull your wallet out and take out an actual photo and show it to someone. All the while, you have like thousands of photos on your phone. You don't even pick that up. That's how you know you're old. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective for the modern world. I'm your host, Reverend Campbell. It's great to have you. It is Sunday, September 12th. I gotta, it's not the 12th. <laughs> I didn't update that part of my... <laughs> Damn it. It's the 19th. 12 plus 7. <laughs> I got a great show for you. Not a great beginning, but the rest should be pretty good. In The Devil's Advocate, I'm going to be talking about the importance of downtime. I'm not necessarily talking about me time, which is also very, very important. But there's other benefits to simple downtime. We'll get into it here in just a second. In The Infernal Informant, Samuel Adams' new beer is illegal in 28 states? Why? We're going to talk. <laughs> Stupid. All right. And then uh, Seven Ways Men Live Without Working in America. And we could like simplify that and including women, it would be like eight ways humans live without working in America. You're just a mom. <laughs> but is that really working? I know women say it's work. I, I, I have many family members that raise children alone and with spouses and stuff. And I know it's tough. But is it work? Not really the context of this show, but maybe in a future episode we'll get into it. We're going to close it out with a little creature feature. We're going to talk about the series Sex Education. It's so much better than you possibly think it is, but we'll get into it there. Jason, how you doing? Gary, welcome to the sixth circle. Sixth. Someone earlier came into the ninth circle, so thanks for joining the ninth circle. I appreciate you guys. I really do. Jason, uh, thanks for joining live. William, how you doing? dog you're in a live show <laughs> i'm glad your schedule allowed it it's great to see you thanks for joining um it's always great to see you gary i okay i have you know how names sort of like if you've ever known someone with a specific name and then you meet other people with that name you try to extrapolate out from that as if you know like this name means you do this or that I always imagine Gary's, like people with the name Gary, they like tennis. Like Gary is a tennis player. He wears socks really high up on the calf. And he, he like twists the tennis stick. <laughs> I don't even know. Racket in his hand. You know, he's very confident in his tennis skills. Not very good at tennis, but he likes to play it. That's Gary in my head. <laughs> I hope that's not insulting because it's not meant to be, but I'm just saying, I'm putting it out there. 
Um, let's see. Anton, how you doing, man? Cameron. I love me some Cameron. I miss Cameron. You know, there's those people that you like hanging out with and you always laugh and talk shit and you just feel better around them. That's Cameron. I always feel better around Cameron. Valeria, how you doing, hon? Thanks for joining live. I appreciate you. Scott, what is up? Uh, Achilles. I watched that tendon. How you doing, man? Ashworth, thanks for joining live. Appreciate you. Jordan, how you doing? Dude, I missed you, dog. I really did. It's not the same without dog in the house. That's all I'm saying. It's not the same. Not the same. All right. Uh, let's, uh, sorry, I'm all slicked back. My hair, okay. A little inside knowledge for Adam. For those of you who don't want to hear it, I'm going to give it to you anyway. Um, I have really wavy slash curly hair. So I wash my hair twice a week. And every day, except for the days that I wash it, it's normal. But on the days that I wash my hair, it's like it tries to be like half of a Bob Ross, but not quite a whole Bob Ross. And it looks fucking weird. And so I have to super slick it back so I don't feel self-conscious on these shows. But then I feel self-conscious because I have slick back hairdo. Like I'm trying to be Donnie Brasco or something. That's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> hey, Sapphire. How you doing? Talking about names, Sapphire is a stripper name. I have never met a human being that is not a stripper with the name of Sapphire. So <laughs> you may not be a stripper, but you could be <laughs> with your name. <laughs> Just putting it out there. <laughs> All right. Let's get in this show. Um, today has been rough, man. Rough day. Because I don't brew very often. Right. And so in Labor Day, I did my pumpkin brew and today is the day I have to siphon over to secondary and do my, you know, secondary. Um, it would be equivalent to dry hopping, but really it's just the seasoning of the spice of the pumpkin spice to make this pumpkin ale I'm making. I don't want to do it. I'm just, I, it takes so much energy for me to want to sterilize all the equipment. First of all, clean all the equipment and then, hold on, I got to step back fish out the equipment and then clean out the sink and then clean the equipment and then sterilize the equipment and then wait for it to dry and then do you know the siphoning and then the recleaning of the old equipment and it's a process and i'm just it's not in my heart <laughs> i gotta do it i'm gonna do it i don't want to do it and because yesterday was a beautiful day it was all overcast and rainy and, you know, just wonderful. It, I live in a desert, so any rainy days are good days. But yesterday was a particularly good day. And I didn't do anything. This feeds into the first segment in Devil's Advocate. But I didn't do anything all day. Because it was raining. How could I, right? So I did, like, video work and stuff like that. But after that, I just sat. I read a little bit. And I just sat around. I didn't do shit. felt great. Today, the sun was out, the air was clear, and I had the yard work to do, and I was not feeling it. You know those days, like, Monday morning is tough for me because you got to wake up at 5.30, you got to stroll your ass out of bed and walk to the workout equipment and then actually work out. Ugh. I don't enjoy it. I do it because I feel like I should, but I don't 
Like, I'm not, like, skipping, you know, whistling to the workout equipment. I'm not, I'm not excited about it, but I do it. That's what, that's what this morning was. I don't want to do this shit, but I got to do it. You know, it's just one of those days. I'd so much, what's up, Alex? How you doing? Hey, Ara, Jen Dorian. <laughs> all right. What, what is going on with all the damn... I understand you got a first name. Maybe it's a pseudonym. Maybe you want to tack in a second name just to sort of add a little bit of oomph to that first name pseudonym. But then you got to add like an M dash and like a qualifier title or like, I, I don't know. What are you doing? Like just, uh, you know, and it's your own Dorian. That, that's good. You don't need the, the, the M dash and everything else. I'm just saying. For those of us who like to call out your names and say how you do, it becomes a challenge. Because what, what name are you trying to shout out? I don't want to say your whole name. Then I'm saying a whole sentence. You know what I mean? It's a lot. <laughs> so for the sake of lazy ass white guys like me, maybe pare your, your YouTube name down a little bit. <laughs> That's all I'm asking. Uh, Villa. Villa knows what's up. Short pseudonym doesn't mean anything does he mean villa villain who cares it's short it doesn't matter that's what i'm talking about kb another one short simple two words easy to do don't have to think about it done love it <laughs> what's up stephanie in the house um okay sapphire likes dancing all right what's up marty how you doing man all right, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna take all day doing this shit. I just wanted to say that uh, I'm not really feeling it today. Yesterday was perfect. Today was a meh, but I'm still gonna try to deliver it. You know what I mean? I don't know if I'm gonna hit the pocket, but I'm gonna aim for the pocket. So I'm gonna do. <laughs> You're gonna get my best right now effort. It's not 100, percent but it's not 50. I'm talking like 57. percent That's what you're getting today. I hope. I hope 57% is good enough because uh, it's all I got to give. Um, Wednesday, September 22nd is the autumn equinox. For those of you who don't know what that means, that means it's a new season. Congratulations, you survived another season. Yeah! However, it is arguably the best season. And I just started talking to my wife about this today. We need to... <laughs> this is how much of a fucking asshat I am I, I like sat down and I looked at my wife as if we were like planning out a football game we're like look we need to strategize here we need to pick out what Halloween movies we want to see and we need to watch one every night until Halloween we have to plan this out properly because if we miss a movie if we don't hit one of our favorites then this whole season is a bust so we gotta strategize you know, no one does that except for maniacs. And I just, I had this weird moment where, you know how like people are dying on the operating table and they feel like their whoosh spirits are taken out of their body and they're like floating above seeing themselves. That's kind of what I felt like when I was talking strategy about Halloween movies during the Halloween season with my wife earlier today. I was like sucked out of my body. I was like, wow, you're a dork. Why are you doing this? But it's important. You got to see specific movies this time of year. And if you miss them, 
you missed them. You know? <laughs> you know what I mean. You know. All right. <laughs> All right, Jason. I'm going to fuck off. All right, let's do a little devil's advocate. Let's get into this. Enough shenanigans. God, the Addams Family is so good. Not the stupid cartoons. Not even the movies, which were great. But the original series. Gold. Alright, I got an image. We're going to throw it up. And we're going to talk about this. Importance of downtime. How do you not like that image? All right. Arguably, for the last year, I've been hyper-specific about how Satanists are actively setting and achieving goals or, or focusing on manipulating others and exerting their will and, and just, just being active in your own life, developing your own skills and talents and trying to break habits that aren't really great for you that you recognize for yourself. And all this work takes a significant amount of energy and focus and attention, and it can just wear you out. And so I want to talk about the importance of downtime. Because as Satanists, if you're just going into life feeling like you have to constantly be at 100, or Jason says 101, you have to constantly be at 101 every single day, you're just going to burn out. You're not going to be able to hang. You're not going to be able to handle it. So you got to rally. you got to take a moment. You know, do a five count. I don't know. Kneel on the grass. Don't sit on your helmet. Your helmet's not a seat. You got to do something in order to recoup that energy, realign that focus. I found myself this past week. We had uh, an old client come back to us asking for a new logo. And it was something that I was intimately connected with. I thought it was going to be a home run. I put together three amazing, what I think of as amazing logo concepts for them. And I present them to him. And I'm doing like tap dancing. I got my cane and my top hat. I'm doing the whole nine yards. And I think in my head, this is in the bag. Any one of these, they're going to jump at. Because I sold this to them better than I could ever have sold it to anyone else. Done and done. Good job, Campbell. And they were like, eh, you know, one and three is okay. Maybe we can explore a little bit of options with one and three. And I was like, my jaw hit the ground. I couldn't understand what the fuck they were saying because these were gold and they just didn't appreciate it. And so now I have to somehow flounder with what I perceive as perfect concepts for the logo they requested. I, I literally mean that. These are perfect representations of the demographic they're trying to target, the product they're trying to sell, and the intention with which they're going to sell it. These were hands down perfect, and they still didn't like it. I didn't know what the fuck to do. So what did I do? I said, fuck it. I turned away, grabbed a book, and I just read. I read for like 25 minutes, 30 minutes. Didn't think about the logo at all. And then it hit me. This is what I got to do in order to solve this problem. And I went back in, 
and I solve the fucking problem. But that's what you got to do. You have to step away from time to time. So let's get into it. We need to schedule downtime as much as we need to work and focus and exert our will and effort on the world. You can't be 100% at all times. And if you try to, you become too frazzled. You start losing it. Chips are falling. You know, every time you're trying to juggle those balls, one's falling every once in a while. You have to be able to focus in life, and that means downtime. So, one of the key purposes of downtime is to give the mind a chance to switch off for a while. Now, we don't always have the opportunity to take a siesta, to go take a nap, or to deal with a problem the next day. But you do have time for a smoke break. Now, that doesn't mean go out and smoke a cigarette. That just means you go and take 15 minutes. Just take some time alone. Decompress. Practice breathing. You know, if you meditate, maybe do a little bit of meditation exercises. But whatever you have to do, get your mind off of the problem you're trying to solve or the job you're trying to work at and just consider the goddamn flowers for a second. You know what I mean? Just relax. Shut off. Um, taking time away to reflect on the things learned during the day gives your brain the opportunity to better absorb information at first glance. And we always have to remember, as much as we are, we, no one ever thinks of themselves as a machine, right? We think of robots as machines, but we're a chemical machine. That's literally what we are. And every machine needs a little bit of downtime. Shut down, process what you've experienced, and then boot right back up and move about your day. We're not mechanical machines. We are chemical machines. But we are machines, just like every other living entity out there. That's why we have to sleep so our brains can process. But sometimes we're just overloaded. You think our ancestors had to deal with all of the stimuli we have to deal with nowadays? No fucking way they did. And they could never have handled it. You ever met one of those old timers? You know, they're still dealing with like the rotary phones and like nine, one. And you got to wait for it to tick, 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 all the way back around. Even calling someone took time. So they were just used to just taking the air in, just breathing, watching the trees swaying in the wind. Meanwhile, we are freaking out because every fraction of the second needs to be jumped upon and seized and we need to, you know, make maneuvers and power plays and get in the game and, you know, hustle to the end zone. I mean, we, we're constantly on the move. I feel like that was a lot of sports references and I'm not a sports guy, so... A bit of a pat on the back for me. <laughs> I feel like I said the words right ball sports you know what i mean so <laughs> we're in a time when you have to deal with more in one simple hour than 50 years ago they had to deal with in a week more stimuli so it's more important now than ever that we take time to allow our brains which has not evolved at the speed of technology in order to process everything that we're going through. It has not evolved at the same rate. So we have to be able to be cognizant 
of the strain that we're putting on our physical forms and allow time to pass. And you would be surprised, you would be amazed at the clarity you can find in just a 15 minute break. It's important. Okay, so many modern workers find it hard to take downtime. The idea of leaving work so cleanly at the office seems a quaint idea in a modern world of smartphones, laptops, and global companies that are always on, uh, on to accommodate employees from Hoboken to Hong Kong. And that's an idea that we have to take a second and just take a little stock in. When I started working at the company that I'm now a partner in, I didn't have a cell phone. Like I literally, I, I refused to own a cell phone. And then when I bought a cell phone, I refused to give the number to my employer because I knew as soon as they had my number, I was accessible 24 hours a day, but I was only willing to work eight hours a day. So I didn't want them to have my number. I don't want to be accessed. When I'm off, when I'm not working, I don't want to be bugged in any way about work. I'm down. I'm with my family. I'm with myself. I'm not at work. Because the strain that your mind has when you're thinking about, I've got to perform. I have to be 100%. If my client or my boss doesn't think that I'm 100%, then I'm not going to be able to pay my mortgage. I'm going to lose my house. I'm not going to be able to pay for my, you know, my car loan. I'm going to lose my car. How am I going to keep the heat on? How am I going to keep food in my kids' bellies? Like these are all the stressors that whether you're actively thinking about them or not in any given second, they're all roiling around at the back of your head. And so it's really, really important to take the step and just Get a little air, a little bit of air between you and your work. Not everyone can, and that's why if you are unable to take downtime, you have to schedule it. And I know how insane that sounds, but most people don't take the vacation that they're allowed because, again, they're afraid of falling behind at work. They're afraid of not being able to uh, appear to be team players with the company in order to get that promotion. There's so many stressors with modern society that you're not even taking the vacations that you're allowed to take. So why not take time during the day, right? Creating the space for downtime increases productivity. So an experiment conducted at BCG founded the forcing employees to take days, nights, or expended periods, extended periods of time off actually increased productivity. Because you're allowing all of the clutter in your head to flow and be filed away. And then you're ready to face whatever comes next. Employing downtime on a planned and ad hoc basis actually unleashes creativity. So um, Johann Lehrer has written for the New, York, Nor uh, sorry, New Yorker about the virtue of daydreaming. And in his book, Imagine, notes the necessity of downtime for problem solving, saying... While it's commonly assumed that the best way to solve a difficult problem is to relentlessly focus, this clenched state of mind comes with a hidden cost. It actually inhibits the sort of creative connections that lead to breakthroughs. The only way that I was able to find the solution to the creative problem that was presented to me was by focusing on something entirely different and relaxing with a good book. That's all it took. I read a chapter and then it came to me. But 
the entire hour of me sitting there fucking with the design solved nothing except got me more angry, got me more frustrated, got me more frazzled. One chapter was all it took. Downtime can dramatically improve mental and physical health and our personal relationships. One study found that employers who unplugged and took time off reduced serious health issues like coronary heart disease. John Tierney and Rob Baumeister state in Willpower that midday breaks can rejuvenate willpower and improve judgment and decision-making in the afternoon. You have to stop and smell the roses. There's a reason why this saying exists. So how can you better use downtime? Clearly schedule your downtime. Allow for ad hoc downtime when you need it. Shut off your smartphone. This is something that, like, we're, we are tied to these things. It, it's, it's insane how intimately connected we are to a technological device. If you're not shutting your phone off from time to time when you're at dinner, when you're spending time with your significant other, when you're with your family, when you're sleeping, you're actually doing a massive disservice to yourself. Not only are you admitting that you're addicted and incapable of removing yourself from this device, there's a bit of narcissism involved in it as well. Like, well, I'm so important, I have to keep it on. If I don't keep it on, the world is going to explode without my involvement. I've got to get my fingers in every single one of those pies in order. How can I do that if my phone's off? I'm going to fucking freak out. I don't have my phone on. Just relax. Shut it off. Take a deep breath. Oh, it's going to be okay. We have to take time for ourselves, for our own health, and for our successes that we're actually striving and working toward. It's important. All right. And freeing up RAM. You know, they see, again, I, I mentioned how we are chemical machines. Well, your brain is very much like the random access memory of any given computer. If you don't know what RAM is, welcome to 2000. <laughs> It's, it's basically the surface memory of your computer to perform regular tasks, right? It's the, the random memory that any given program comes on can access so that you can just do whatever you need to do. Well, your brain and attention can be seen as RAM. And the more you overload your senses and your mind and your desires with ideas and opportunities and possibilities, the less room you have to actually recuperate from the stressors that all of that is adding to you. And then the final of how to better use downtime, uh, the final tip is to create rituals and routines, right? So as Satanists, we understand how important rituals are to the human animal. Uh, we, some of us, perform <laughs> greater magic rituals in order to process emotions that maybe are taking control of our lives, events that we don't have total control over in order to clarify and focus us. But there's also other rituals. Like for me, I wake up at 5.30 every single morning, I work out, then I shower, have my coffee, work on computer shit, then go to work. I focus on myself 
first thing in the morning and my health first thing every morning. And if I don't do that, then I feel guilty. I feel disgusting. I kind of feel gross. Like I don't feel physically all there. I feel like I cheated if I don't do it. And it's just a way of me saying that I am present for myself. And even though I don't particularly enjoy doing it, I know that when I do, I instantly feel better about myself. I feel more focused and ready for the day. And again, I'm growing older in years. It just benefits for the longevity of my life. And survival is the highest law, right? Self-preservation. And so I have to work at it. Um, and it's crazy to say, <laughs> but it takes effort not to sp like spend your focus on working towards something. Like the fact that you have to schedule it, your downtime at all is a ridiculous thought, but you do. And so this just pays off again, you know, the, the early monologue with yesterday. It was raining outside and I just said, you know what? Fuck it. It's a rainy day. I'm going to enjoy my rainy day. And I didn't do shit. And it felt great. <laughs> it was amazing. I'm constantly thinking about my profession, my family, my goals, my various hobbies like this and any other YouTube channel that I work at, writing and, and uh, editing and, and manipulating designs. And I'm constantly running around and then I want to break away and take time to read books. And I got to write reviews about the books and, and you know, make sure that those reviews get out there. And it's this constant frantic motion in my head and just taking some time off can just charge those batteries a hundred percent and you just feel so much better so here's the downside for all of you you can take too much time down <laughs> anecdotally i can take too much time down if i don't do if i don't work on my any project you know whatever silo it falls under family professional hobby whatever if i'm not working on something for let's say two days at a time, I don't want to start again. I get lazy. I get complacent. And that's a dangerous place to be in. So you have to manage not only finding time to take the downtime, but you have to be able to shut it off and get right back on that horse. And it's not always easy. That's for me, that's the hardest thing you could possibly do because if I'm down, I just want to be down. I just, I don't, I will forever be down. Just give me an opportunity. I will take it. Let me be down. But you can't live that way. You know, you have to continue fighting and chasing and dreaming and, and, and going after that goal, working on that next thing that you want to accomplish. So it's important to take the downtime, but don't allow it to take control. All right. So we're talking just like a two-step. <laughs> Don't mess around. You're a Satanist. You still have things to do, but you got to allow your mind some peace and, and time to process. You understand? All right. I saw a whole bunch of messages flying by here. You begin your days with about an hour of yoga, meditation, and breathing exercises. Good on you, Jameson. That sounds delightful. I, I tried yoga... And um, 
I like the frustration of lifting weights more than the strain of trying to hold a pose. I don't know if it's because it's over quicker because yoga is not easy for people who think it is. I mean, there's some exercises that are easy, but like if you're like into it, it's not easy. It takes a lot of fucking work. But um, yeah, I just like the the immediate like, you know, the lift, the grunt and the, I don't know, whatever it is. Four-day work weeks. That would be nice, Zachary. I like the idea of it. I don't... The thing is, is like, I, I say I don't like the idea of a 10-hour or 12-hour work day. But the truth is, you're still thinking about work that entire 10 to 12 hours, even if you're only working eight. So it's not like you're not, you know, you just switch off. You're still in work mode as you're going to and coming from. And still, like, there's, like, this transitional refractory period that you're dealing with work even when you're not on the clock. So you're still kind of doing the time anyway. So why not have the extra day off? I like the idea of it. For sure. The neighborhood Papa Raccoon just came up to your side of the door again. What? What? That sounds like you live in a cartoon world and I am jealous. I want a neighborhood raccoon that's just like, hey, how you doing? I'm here. Give me foods. Give me garbage. Okay, first of all, do birds come to your windows and sing to you? Because you may be Cinderella, and we I just don't know. You may have, like, the best life ever. Watching, like... <laughs> this is dumb. Watching... Uh, 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 um, it's not Black Beauty. What is that? Sleeping Beauty. Watching Sleeping Beauty as a kid, right? When she's, like, taken to the fairy's house, and she, like, opens the windows, and all the birds are, like, chirping, and she's, like, singing with them and stuff. I was like... That's the best life ever. You get to play with wild animals and just have no cares in the world? Fuck yes, sign me up. I want to be Sleeping Beauty. Have a prince wake you from a poison apple sleep? Yes, please. <laughs> I don't even care who the prince is. Make it a princess and I'm down. Like, fuck. That's the best life ever. Gah. Instead, I got to worry about meeting client expectations and their expectations always suck always never have i had a client it was like i want you to be as creative as you want and just kind of surprise me <laughs> never it's always like hey that thing that you hate more in life than anything else do that yeah every goddamn time this just saps your soul and then i'm showing them like trolley commercials and they think i'm insane <laughs> like can no one be creative? Like, what, what, what happened to creativity in this world? Ugh. Your old phone was work, so you needed to replace it. Went old school. You got a flip phone. Flip, I can't even say it. Flip phone. There was a time. It's funny. There was a time in the cell phone world when it was sort of burgeoning and new. Where the smaller the little flip phone you had was cooler. Now we're trying to get as big and like flip open and wide and everything to have like a full theater experience in the palm of your hands as much as you can. But there was a time when we wanted it like micro, you know, it was like home alone or something. You're trying to trick the fucking burglars or something with your phone. Like you just wanted micro machine, small cell phones. It was a thing. You guys remember that? <laughs> 
Uh, you think of it as a math being down a lot of ways. Uh, taste your algorithms. That sounds so dirty. If someone ever said to me, taste my algorithms, I feel like I just got to kick them in the balls and run. It's like stranger danger immediately. You know what I mean? <laughs> hey, kid. <laughs> Trench coat. Flashes it open. Taste my algorithms. Ah! Stranger danger, stranger danger. Uh, when you're in the... Um, Oil field. Wow. Time was an illusion, and not many had the nutsack to take a job on their own for maybe being wrong. Uh, I and am still to this day very close friends. Okay. Oil field. I don't know if I could do that work, dude. That's hard. That's tough. I don't have any calluses. <laughs> I feel like you need calluses on your hands to do oil field work. Uh, your phone just tells you when to pick up your kid. That's a good phone. That's <laughs> uh, Technology is the shadow of man. If you don't have RAM, you're a worm. Yeah, I don't know. Is it though? Like, I'm, I'm definitely of the thought that simply because we evolved in the way that we did does not mean that it is the best way for the human animal. You know what I mean? Like, we have, we have evolved away from the very thing that we came from from nature we've encased ourselves in at best case wood and worst case cement on a day-to-day -day basis and nowadays more than ever we're all working from home so we're really not leaving our cement coffins very often you know when we're trying to connect with people it's through literally my stupid show of a you know streaming ones and zeros through satellites in space rather than actually going to a town square and stepping on like a like an apple crate or something uh, like, we've done everything we can as a species to evolve away from where we came from, all the while knowing we need the connection of from which we came. Because that's where we're real. That's where we're honest. That's where we're true to who we are as a species. For me, there's something kind of depressing about that. And that's why I, I, I focus so much on getting out and hiking and spending time in the outdoors and stuff because in, in trying to share that with my kids because we're we're it's like we're did you guys ever see was it the cell the film cell it was like this serial killer that like bleached his victim's skin you know he's like he was like a, a germ freak or something i can't remember this exactly i'm sort of just going off memory we're sterilizing what it means to be human, you know? We're doing everything we can to try to create this facsimile of connection because we know that's important, all the while maintaining at least six feet distance between each other. It's weird, like we're not human, but we're trying to play human. We're the result of aliens watching what the human animal is and then creating something to try to be as close as possible to that without getting dirt under their nails. That's what we are. And there is nothing greater than having dirt under your nails. I don't know, that's how I feel. Um, I'm going way too long in this. Let's, let's go to the next uh, segment here, Info and Fauna.
All right, let's uh, throw up this image and dive in. Now, I just thought this was apropos because it's been years since I've made a batch of beer, and I'm halfway through making a batch of beer right now. Samuel Adams's new beer is illegal in 28 states. Here's why. Samuel Adams just created a new beer that's so strong that it's illegal, in 28 states at least. The brand just released its 12th batch of Utopia's beer, according to a press release from the company. Utopia's, which is a barrel aged and released every two years, is described by the company as a spirited blend of multiple batches of our extreme beers. I feel like every time the word extreme shows up, you have to scream it. Extreme beers. This particular batch was finished with 2,000 pounds of cherries and offers subtle notes of honeyed apricot and caramel to the rich layers of flavor. <laughs> uh, the reason it's illegal in 28 states, however, has to do with its alcohol volume, ABV, which stands at 28%. This is a beer that's 28% alcohol. By volume. That's insane. By comparison, a typical beer is five. <laughs> Full stop. 5.0 ABV. <laughs> While spirits like vodka, rum, and tequila hover around 40% ABV. And this is 28% as a beer. All right, hold on a second. Why does anyone drink beer? Because they want something refreshing that's maybe going to get them a little bit of fuzzy thoughts, but still they're going to have a good time. They're going to be able to have a bunch of them and just sort of hang out and, you know, be stupid and have fun, right? I'm not talking about frat boys who are, like, sticking tubes in their ass and, like, shoving beer down their colon. I'm talking about regular human beings who just want to have a cold one after mowing their lawn. Like, the... Beer is the number one consumed liquid on this planet from antiquity. And it's because you can drink a lot of it and you can still just kind of feel goofy and stupid. But you can drink a lot of it. At 28%, you're talking more than wine territory. Just under some liquors, but more than wine so you're not going to be able to drink a six-pack and be conscious. So why the fuck would you do that? What's the point? Is this like those extreme hot sauces that your colon just collapses out of your butthole after you try them and then burns up as if it was a vampire seeing daylight for the first time in a thousand years? Like that's what you're going for? For a beer? I don't understand the mentality. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. You're supposed to be able to crack the top of a beer and just enjoy it. And just be like, ah, I feel refreshed. That was delightful. Not, what the, f all right, I don't get it. I understand it. Don't get it. Many states, such as Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Idaho, Missouri, Mississippi, Montana, New I feel like Johnny Cash. New <laughs> I've been everywhere, man. North Carolina, Oklahoma, Oregon, South Carolina, Utah, uh, Vermont, and West Virginia 
still have laws in the books dating back to the Prohibition era that caps beer at 5% ABV. I don't disagree with it. I, I really don't. Now, I'm not saying it should be illegal to have it over that. No, do whatever you want. I don't care. But your average beer should not be fucking 28% ABV. That's ridiculous. Uh, however, many have argued that the laws are arbitrary and are limiting craft beer makers. Yeah, from doing what? Killing their 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 uh, <laughs> their customers? That doesn't make any sense at all. It's stupid. I don't understand that. You you couldn't have two of them without feeling disgusting. Ugh. We had the exact opposite problem in Utah. Up until very recently, you could not buy beer in the grocery store or in gas stations outside of a liquor store that was more than like 3.5 or something like that percent ABV. 3.5 or something, right? So we had to drive as, and this is something I did until very recently, we would have to drive to Wyoming in order to buy 6% beer and we had our pinkies out the entire time we were drinking it. Because it was like, whoa, I've got real beer now. But 28? <sighs> That's like a dude with a, like a 20-inch cock. Totally useless. Yeah, it's impressive. You get a hard-on, you're going to pass out. What's the point? You can't use it. Too much. Too much. All right, for those who want to get their hands on a bottle, illegally, of course, you'll have to pay a bit more than your average six-pack. A bottle of the latest batch of Utopias retails for a suggested price of $240. A bottle. $240. How bad do you want your drunk? What are they doing? I want to meet the asshole who buys that and just drinks it as if it was a Bud Light. And then just beat the shit out of him. You know what I mean? Just pummel him until he is just bloody and puffy in the face. You know the puffy I'm talking about. There's like hues of purple and brown. Like, he doesn't deserve, or she... I imagine if it was a she, uh, never mind, <laughs> we get in trouble. I'm just saying, don't deserve it. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. All right, the next one. <laughs> That's, whew, I almost got canceled <laughs> from where I was going to go with that. <laughs> you got to catch yourself from time to time, you know? You're like, hey, I'm just amongst friends. I can say whatever I want, but no. I've been shut down by YouTube. I've been banned for six months from YouTube. Not even for anything I did, but for someone else eating food. Literally. So you got to be careful with what you say. Someone else threatened me. I addressed it and I got banned. <laughs> the victim in the situation and I got banned. All right, so here's the next article. Seven ways men live without working in America. Now, I thought to myself, should I bring this up? Because this could give 
some people some ideas about just being deadweights and not actually being productive human beings. And I thought, but some of these are actually kind of ingenious in their productivity. It's just not the traditional way. So I erred on the side of uh, present it to you. So let's get into it. Almost one third of all working age men in America aren't doing diddly squat. They don't have a job and they aren't looking for one either. One third of all working age men, that's almost 30 million people. How do they live? Where are they, what are they doing for money? To me, it's just one of the great mysteries of our time. I'm certainly not the first person to make note of this shocking statistic. You've heard people bemoaning this labor participation rate, which is simply the number of working age men, usually counted as ages 16 to 64, not working or not looking for work as a percentage of the overall labor force. It's true the pandemic, which of course produced a number of factors that made working more difficult, never mind dangerous, pushed the labor participation rate to a record low. But the fact that millions of American males have not been working precedes COVID-19 by decades. In fact, the, participa the participation rate of men peaked at 87.4% in October 1949. That was the peak in 1949, in October specifically, and has been dropping steadily ever since. Think about that for a second. It was only 87.4% of males that could work that were working in October 1949. And from that time, it has just dipped off. Right now, we're sitting at 67.7. Economists, sociologists, politicians, and cable news pundits each have their pet factors to explain the groundswell of non-work. But after digging down here, I've concluded there are many different forces at play. Here are seven ways men are living without working in America. Unemployment insurance. Conservatives and some liberals, too, have made the claim the state's unemployment aid, coupled with a $600 a week from the CARES Act, which was rolled out in March 2020, has reduced men's need to work. We'll be getting a good read on whether all this relief did suppress employment now that the CARES Act ended for some 7.5 million Americans earlier this month. But as Yahoo Finance's Denitsa Sekova, Sekova Reported, states that ended federal and um, aid programs early didn't see big increases in employment. Now, that may mean that these payments really weren't enough to live off or not enough to live off by themselves, which speaks to men looking to a combination of sources like under the table income or family support and possibly some savings. Number two, that was number one. Number two, early retirement pensions disability, and lawsuits. Millions of men under 64 are at least partly living off of pensions and 401ks. This would include everything from C-suite executives to union members. And don't forget municipal workers who make up almost 14% of the U.S. workforce. 
According to U.S. Census Bureau, there are some 6,000 public sector retirement systems in the U.S. collectively. These plans have $4.5 trillion in assets, with one point, I'm sorry, with 14.7 million working members and 11.2 million retirees. There's also disability insurance from the Social Security Administration that's been paid to some 9 million Americans who may receive payments many years before retirement age. Number three. Counting is tough. Savings, trading stocks, and Bitcoin. According to a recent survey by Northwestern Mutual, average personal savings are up over 10% compared to last year, from 65.9,000 last year to 73, to $73,100. I don't know, it's 65.9, 73.1. Uh, average retirement savings increased 13% from 87.5 last year to 98.8 today. Credit Suisse estimates that since the beginning of 2020, retail trading as a share of overall market activity has nearly doubled from between 15 and 18% to over 30%, as CNBC reported. And Robinhood, which according to the New York Times also reported last month that revenue from cryptocurrency trading fees totaled $233 million, a nearly 50-fold jump from $5 million a year earlier. Hell of a way to make money. And number four, working for cash, a.k.a. the under-the-table economy. Now, GDP in the U.S. this year is about $22 million. So 13% of that is $2.86 trillion. As it turns out, $2 trillion plus is a number that's been thrown around quite a bit when it comes to estimating the size of the cash economy in the U.S. Even if half that money is paid out to women, that still leaves, say, $1 trillion being made by men in this country totally off the books. The next, living off of family members. Now, the Pew Research Center reported last year that the pandemic has pushed millions of Americans, especially young adults, to move in with family members. The share of 18 to 29-year-olds living with their parents has become a ma uh, majority since U.S. coronavirus cases began spreading in early 2020, surpassing the previous peak period, the Great Depression era. In July, 52% of young adults resided with one or both of their parents, up from 47% in February. Now, that doesn't mean that they live entirely off of their parents, but it's still a factor of not having to pay rent, sometimes food, power, internet, etc. Utilities. Illegal work. According to the Washington Post, overdose deaths hit 93,000 last year, up a stunning 30% from 2019. Most of the overdoses were attributed, attributed to opioids, heroin, synthetic opioids like OxyContin, and in particular, fentanyl. A government report on drug trafficking arrests from five years ago notes that the majority of drug trafficking offenders were male, 84.9%. The average age of these offenders at sentencing was 36 years. 70% were United States citizens, although this rate varies substantially depending on the type of drug involved, and that almost half 49.4% of drug traffickers have little or no prior 
criminal history. Two million people incarcerated, we, well, we have two million people incarcerated in the U.S. right now. We have the highest absolute number and the highest per capita on the planet and holds some 25% of the world's total prisoners, according to the ACLU. So that's to say, not all are going to be dangerous drug traffickers. We know there's a skewed amount of, uh, let's say, non-white <laughs> uh, people who have been caught with drugs that are uh, thrown into prison more frequently and for longer durations. But that also means that they're not part of the workforce. Hence, they're living off the state. They're not working for their income. So they're included. Living off the land is the number seven. Fishing and hunting license sales increased 10% in California during the pandemic, reversing years of decline. From the start of 2020 licensing year in May through December 31, Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife sold nearly 45,000 more fishing licenses and 12,000 more hunting licenses than 2019. The number of new license holders, defined as someone who hasn't purchased one for the previous five years, went up 16% for fishing licenses and almost 40% for hunters. As for growing vegetables in home gardens, yeah, it's up, way up, too. Even before the pandemic, there were estimates that a third of American families grew vegetables. Now, I think the last two, or the last one, is the most important because fishing and hunting and growing your own vegetables and fruits is something that everyone can do, and it costs a little upfront money, but the dividends that it pays in the end, if you can actually success successfully catch or kill something, or grow something, is immeasurable. It's amazing. All that to say, I don't fault any of these options as a, a means of earning a living, not even drug trafficking. Because quite frankly, if there's a market for you to make money and you're able to make money in that market, I'm not going to shame your game. Do your thing. You'll always have to contend with the laws of the country, of the region that you live in. And if you're breaking those, chances are you're going to have to suffer the consequences. That's totally up to the individual. I would never suggest anyone break any laws. But I will say that there's something about the human animal that will always try to game the system. <laughs> I've got a brother who, in his entire youth growing up, seemed like all he tried to do was game the system rather than just working at one thing to do it. You know, it was always like, you know, I was trying to skate and skirt and work around the seams. And I was, I've always had this idea that I actually heard, I have to attribute to Adam Carolla because he's the one that said it first. But you're either in spend a penny mode or save a penny mode. And the saving a penny mode can be nothing but pathetic. Doing everything you can to pinch a penny is just disgusting in this world when instead you could focus on making and working on earning more than just a penny. Like, why are you caring about a goddamn penny? You know, the sense that I'm going to save doing this versus just putting in a little more effort over here, doing something different, changing your life, chasing a different dream, reimagining yourself, you know, working at something differently. And if 
the focus on money isn't in you, that's okay. Because we are fortunate enough to live in a time that is going away that you can actually try to live off the land. Again, regionally dependent. Depends on the country you live in, the laws and, and the, the lengths that you're willing to divorce yourself from society or technology. But it's possible people are doing it. And you can argue that they're living happier lives. So maybe chasing the dollar isn't the most important thing. Maybe living within your means, as my college instructors told me, is the most important thing. Living within your means. Knowing how much you bring in in a month, budgeting out your food and your entertainment and your utilities and everything, and just being content within that, whatever it may be. That may be very, very little, or it may be, you know, extravagant. But whatever it is for you, just live in those means and your sense of happiness will increase exponentially. I love the idea that, and here's the other thing. I've complained about this my entire life. I have relatives that just don't believe in work. They just want to live off the system. They believe that they've paid enough taxes that they should just get paid by the government and not work anymore. That is literally how they framed it to me. They're like, we have worked a good 20 years. How much more do we have to work? The government owes me. And in my head, I'm like, you're insane. But in their head, they're like, no, this is, I'm due. So I need to get disability. I need to get a pension. I need to get the government paying me money somehow. So I'm going to game the system until they do. I've had friends that have done that too. And I, it's, I, it's not in me to do that. I think it's horrible because ultimately we're all paying for it because they haven't spent the time in order to offset what they put in versus what they're taking out of the government. But there's a side of me that's like, hey, if you can get away with it, fucking more power to you, man. You know, like that's your game, like play your game, whatever. I'm going to do me and you do you. And uh, I don't know if you can get away with it. I feel like you earned it. <laughs> that's it's kind of how I, that's kind of how I see it, even though I disagree with it. It's weird. All right. What do you guys say? Since the late 1800s, all the rich families have uh, prophesied of the poppy seed and the opioid pandemic is poppy seed as well as the golden triangle. Yeah, Jason, why do you guys think that we've been in Afghanistan so long? You know what they grow in Afghanistan? Poppy. Opioids. For real. I think that has everything to do with why we were there for so long. 100%. 100%. Let's see. If he chose the other steel mill, he would be, uh, he would have retired. Randomness and chaos of the world. Money exchanged internally to the nation makes no money. Exports make money. Imports lose money. That's true. It's absolutely true. That's how... That's how money works. My dad worked at a union and a steel mill downriver Detroit here and lost his retirement after 26 years. The time the union bankrupted the company, the 13th time, corruption is real. Yes, sometimes it's not always a corrupt union, but a state that no longer wants to support unions for political reasons. You know, you can argue that Detroit, their unions were paying way too much to their pensioners and they were promising way too much to their workers. That's a fair argument to make. 
But that's not the case all around the country. Not all unions are corrupt. Some are just trying to support working men and women. And so it is tough politically when you have to sort of balance that that sense of I want to support unions because I want unions to protect workers, but then I don't want unions to become bloviated and sap the the government that they're operating in and hence the people of that government that they're operating in. It is a balance, and I don't think we'll ever be able to find the perfect balance, but it is something, in my opinion, that's worth striving for. I don't like the idea of getting rid of unions whole cloth because they protect workers. And it's because of unions that workers got rights and we have a seven day work week. Like that was all worked out through legislation and unions. In the industrial revolution, it, it, they, they play an important role in uh, you know, the, the workers' place in this world because ultimately, you know, we like to talk shit about corporations a lot, but the truth is we wouldn't have the America that we know and love and we enjoy the, the ease of access and travel from if it weren't for corporations. They literally built this country and a handful of people at that that ran them. And so you have to give props to them, right? On the other hand, you still have to protect yourselves, right? Unions could be just as bad as crony corporatists, but you have to be able to protect your interests somehow. You have to have power. We were just talking about this in, in the other days, might is right, right? Collective power, whether it's in a union or whether it's in a government body, can exert that power over external forces. How to use it, how to use it to your best interest without overstepping, without harming the people that you're trying to protect, well, that can become difficult when human interests are involved because let's be honest, as I've said over and over again, we're the worst. <laughs> the worst. So we hurt ourselves. We could easily seem to take care of ourselves, but we seem to be incapable of it. It's just in our species, it's in our DNA. We are incapable of working together for whatever reason. I don't get it, but it seems to be real. I asked God for a bike, but God doesn't work that way. So I stole a bike and asked for forgiveness. Al Pacino. That's a great quote, Anton. I love that. That's really good. All right, uh, let's close this show out. Oh, shit, we're already past an hour. Why are you letting me talk so much? Tell me to shut up. God, what's your problem, man? I agree with that, Jason. 100%. God. I just feel like if any of our... I've said this before, so, you know, if you're tired of hearing me saying it, sorry. If any of our ancestors from, say, 100 years and before saw our world... And this feeds into this show, too, that I'm going about, about to talk about. If they, any of them saw any of the things that we whine and complain and cry and tear and, you know, just suffer over and... You know, get all depressed and, and damn the man and hashtag like they wouldn't even know what that fucking meant. 
they would beat us to death with their bare hands. Because <laughs> we don't deserve to live compared to the struggle of human existence that they had to live under. It doesn't even compare. Little bit of perspective goes a long way. All right, let's talk about sex education, people. Because I know you're doing it wrong. You're trying to stick it in the side vagina. There is no side vagina. That's just a film. I tried. I looked. It didn't exist. It wasn't there. I looked. It doesn't exist. But I can dream, can't I? I can dream. All right, let's talk about sex education. This is a British comedy drama streaming television series created by Laurie Nunn for Netflix. It is in its third season. It depicts the lives of the students, staff, and parents of the fictitious Moordale Secondary School as they contented with uh, dilemmas in their personal lives, often relating to sexual intimacy. It features an ensemble cast that includes Asa Butter, a bunch of really great people, including Gillian Anderson, who I have a mad crush on ever since X-Files. She plays a British person. <laughs> and um, when I watch her play a British uh, woman, I'm reminded by every British person who plays an American person. And their accents just, they're just not quite right. They're close, believable enough for a film or a TV series. Which is not quite right. And I have to ask myself, why not just look for the fucking British person? Why not look for the American person? What what does that person have that is so gold that it is, is worth overshadowing their shitty accent? I I feel like you could find something. In the in the world that we live in, overpopulated USA. Uh, overpopulated global earth. I feel like you could find an actor in the country that they're supposed to be a part of that can speak the dialect of the country that they're supposed to be a part of. I feel like you don't have to look outside. The only reason why you look outside is because you're looking for like a headline name, right? A known famous actor in order to draw in other actors and actresses because they're like, ooh, if Chris Evans is a part of it, then I don't want to be a part of it. <laughs> You know, like that's the only reason, but you don't need it because some of the best films are with unknown actors and actresses because you're not looking at them going, I've seen them in something before. And then my wife is forever. Oh, they were in this and this and this and this and this, huh? Right. And then I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm trying to watch the show. And you're telling me about all the other episodes that this person or all the other series that this person was a part of. And it's driving me crazy because you're constantly on your phone when we're trying to watch a show looking stuff up. But then I find myself doing it, and then I hate myself for being mad at my wife for doing it. Where was I? Oh, yeah. The first series premiered in uh, 11 January 2019. The second premiered in uh, 17 January 2020. And the third was just released on 17 September. Now... Sex Education has been a critical and commercial success with over 40 million viewers streaming the first series average debut. At the BAFTA Television Awards, Wood won Best Female Comedy Performance for the second series. Now, here's the logline. Sex Education primarily follows Otis Milburn, an insecure student at Moordale Secondary School. 
Otis begins the series ambivalent about sex, in part because his divorced mother, Jean, is a sex therapist who frequently has affairs with her male suitors, but is unable to maintain a romantic relationship. His best friend, Eric Effiong, the gay son of Ghanaian Nigerian immigrants, over the course of the series, Otis becomes close with Maeve Wiley, a confident student whose high intelligence is overshadowed by her troubled past. Now, what I really, really loved about the first two seasons was that it presented students that were sort of like junior high, high school era, basically high school. And they were being exposed to actual real ideas about sex, right? Because again, his mom's a sex therapist, and so he's bringing that background of reality versus the fic idea of the important things about sex that we as kids thought were there but didn't really know. There's actually a really great... I'm looking for it. All right, well, I don't see it. It's called uh, this book. Um... Things my mom or things your mom never told you about sex, I think is what it's called. Something like that. But basically, this series reminds me of that. Whereas it doesn't matter what age you are as a human being. I grew up in Utah, which always taught abstinence rather than safe sex. And that is really the struggle of this series is the adults, most of the adults trying to teach abstinence and then, uh, you know, a minority of the adults and then most of the students trying to push in actual education about sex. And the truth is, is when you preach abstinence only, you get kids getting pregnant and having more abortions and having more pregnancies under age. That's just the reality. The numbers bear that out because they don't understand because they're ignorant. They don't know the realities of safe sex. You have an higher increase in STDs, a higher increase in general infections. Like, if you don't educate kids about sex, then they have dangerous sex. The bottom line is, kids are going to have sex. That's just what they do, right? So you might as well tell them how to do it safely. How, how to actually properly enjoy it and not get hung up on some of the stressors that sex can bring. And let me tell you something, as a man... I grew up in an era where, and maybe it's regional, I don't know, but there was this whole idea about you have to last as long as you can, and it's never about, you know, whether or not you both have an orgasm or not. It's about lasting as long as possible, because somehow in my youth crowd, that equated to enjoyment. I distinctly remember a time with me and my, um, <laughs> well, now wife, sorry, honey, I'm telling the story, um, we were like in this shitty place I lived uh, after my parents kicked me out of the house uh, when I was a kid and it was like roach infested it was like a drug den basically but like you know we'd go for like two hours we'd both be wildly sore neither of us climaxed and we were just like yeah success because duration is success right no <laughs> no the reason why duration is conflated with success is because most women don't know what they need to make them come. That is just a reality of it. Most women do not play with themselves or they do not expose themselves to, you know, like understanding their own anatomy enough to understand what gets them off. Guys, 
You can rub against a fucking rope and come. Like, that doesn't matter. But girls are a little bit tougher not to crack. Some girls do, but they're the minority. So, <laughs> it became conflated. Well, if a girl's not coming, then it must be my fault because I'm the guy. Not that it's her fault because she doesn't know what the fuck she likes. Right? When that's actually the truth of it. And so you just go as long as you possibly can. Meanwhile, you're hurting each other for no fucking reason. You know? It's ridiculous. Anyway, my, my whole point about this diatribe is that this show addresses sexuality in a very open and honest way that I wish was addressed when I was a kid. I wish I would have understood some of these concepts when I was a kid because it would have saved me from so much stress and worry and heartache. And it would have made things more enjoyable for everyone involved. Like everyone, you know? It's not just me getting mine, it's everyone involved. Um, there are some hangups about this that kind of drive me crazy. So what this show does in a very brilliant way is represent minorities. And this is something that I think representation is very important. Um, but I do believe that there's a pivot point when it becomes less of representation and more of preaching and slapping you in the face. This show for the first two seasons bordered on that precipice, sometimes tipping one way and then, you know, kind of recovering the other way. I can appreciate that. I know what they're trying to do and I can respect that. This season, oof, it is hammering home the non-binary gender identity harder than anything I'd ever seen in my life. And it got to a point where the principal says something along the lines of, at some point you kids are going to have to grow up and realize no one gives a fuck about how you identify with yourself and you're just going to have to operate in the world as it is. And that was like the big bad guy line of the season, right? That was like what they held up and say, see, adults don't understand and they're the worst. And all the time I'm going, no, but that's, that's true. That's, that's not a punchline. That's real. Like you have to operate in, like you can't, the world is not going to manipulate to your whim ever. If you want to engage in the world, if you want respect in the world, you have to meet the world at its own fucking place. You have to. Now you can change the world through your engagement. You can adjust the world's tone as we've seen happen. Our world has gotten more and more progressive as the ages have gone by. And I think that's a good thing. But you are not owed anything simply because you like to fuck a specific gender or because you identify as a specific gender. No one owes you anything. You're not special. It doesn't make you a princess or a prince or, I don't know, a non-binary being with a crown. No one owes you anything. You just simply exist. You're another blip on an otherwise unimaginative rock hurling through space around a sun. That's it. That's all you are. So stop acting like everyone should have to conform to your idea of you. Because guess what? No one else gives a fuck. No one. The only reason why people in your little circle give a fuck is because they, for some reason or other, care about you. But they're the only ones. No one else does. And I don't like a TV show 
telling me that that fact is somehow a bad thing when it's just the reality of life. You can't have someone wearing a fucking unicorn costume expecting the same respect in the business world as every other human that is engaging in the proper fucking way. You're gonna get thrown out and laughed at and probably beat the fuck up. And you know what? You probably deserve it because you went into a situation in the way that you shouldn't have. Satanism teaches us lesser magic. We should fucking know better than to do that. I'm just saying, meet the world where the world wants to be met, and you will succeed. Meet the world on your own terms with your own feelings, and you're going to get burned every fucking time. Because none of us are special. Not one. I don't care what your mom told you. I don't care if your grandmammy raised you and she taught you right. It doesn't fucking matter. And I don't care if Jesus came down from on high and placed his hand on your forehead and said, you are a godly child. You are special. Can I get an amen? It doesn't fucking matter. You're just one more of an endless fucking stream of flesh bags on this goddamn rock. The only way you matter is if you operate with the intention of the world and meet it on its grounds, manipulating it on its grounds. It's like that fucking asshole who, in, in every world you live in, you're going to meet this guy who just is fucking self-entitled, like, I'm the, I'm the greatest thing that women ever fucking had in the world. Meanwhile, he's never fucking anyone because no woman can stand his fucking arrogant ass. That's you with your sexuality and your gender. Now, be you because you're special and you're a flower and it's important to you. Just like I'm special and I'm a flower to me. But no one else gives a fuck and you have to understand that. And they don't need to because you're not owed anything in this life. It's crazy that we live in a time when people feel like they're actually owed respect without ever having given it. It's just like, I exist? Why don't you bow before me? I am, I am me. I'm a shining light of individuality. Look at my colorful hair and piercings and tattoos. Don't you respect me? Jesse. Like, what are you doing? Fucking people, man. Um, <laughs> it's a great show, though. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really good show. And I'm really enjoying it. And that's why I brought it up here. That one little note aside that caused that crazy rant of mine. I have to say I really love this show. And I've loved it for the first two seasons. And I think we have one episode left in this final third season. And we binged it all yesterday when I wasn't doing shit. And it was brilliant. It's emotional. It, it, it draws you into the drama. Not in like a weird high school way, but in like, like a human experience way. You know, you can relate to it even as an old man to these kids. It's great. It's really fucking great. What are we talking about? What are you guys saying in the chat here? Teaching everyone with a loaded gun how to properly use it is being smart in your book. You're absolutely right. 
That's 100% right. This is why you should always take an older lover <laughs> as your first. Um, yeah, lots of teachers took that note and they went to jail. <laughs> but it's wokeism made reality the villain. Um, yeah, yeah, it totally has. And it's going to come home. You know what I mean? Like every movement that, that doesn't, isn't grounded in reality, you know, it'll go and hit its peak, but the pendulum always swings back and they always get burned on the backswing. And I consider myself a social liberal and it pains me to see liberals who, ah, that's not fair. I see myself as a social progressive. Um, it pains me to see liberals who think everyone should just accept every idea they've ever had as if it was everything is equal. You know what I mean? Like all ideas are equal. And so we should explore all of them equally. That's just not reality. It's never been reality. Like I understand in your utopian worldview that that's a good thing that everyone has an equal voice, but that's not reality. And you should have learned that in college. And the truth is you're not taught that in college because you boycotted the people that would have told you that in college. Like professors included. It drives me nuts. We live in such a ridiculous world. It drives me crazy. All right. Anyway, great show. Check it out. That's it. I'm an hour and a half. I got a life here, people. You got to tell me to shut up. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Nine Cents. I hope you appreciate it. If you want to support the show, subscribe to the YouTube channel, like the videos, share them if you think it's worthwhile. Maybe not this episode, but possibly other ones. The Midas Right episode was good, right? I thought it was anyway. Uh, share that one. If you want to uh, find out what I'm going to be talking about, who I'm going to be talking about with, and what we're going to be talking about, sign up to the email list. Here's something I always find interesting because I get a notice every time someone signs up. I'm over 800 people regularly for years that are on my email list. But it's funny when I see names come in like, oh, I'm going to sign up to the email list. And then like the next two weeks or something, they sign out. They're like, ooh, I don't want to be a part of that anymore. What exactly did you expect? <laughs> I tell you every time I do an episode, if you want to find out what I'm going to be talking about, who I'm going to be talking with, sign up to the email list. And then you do that. And then I send you emails saying exactly what I told you I was going to say. And then you unsubscribe. What? <laughs> I don't understand that at all. Like, I respect you don't want to hear from me. I, that's fair. I, I don't want to hear from me. But you signed up. What the fuck did you think I was going to send you? Like, nipple photos? That's only to the elite email list. Not the public one. Come on. <laughs> All right. Um, if you want to learn more about Satanism or the Church of Satan, uh, read the Satanic Bible, read the Satanic Scriptures, and visit churchofsatan.com. You're going to get informed, and that is, uh, well, information is the cure for ignorance. It's going to do you good. You know what? It does a body good. It's like, what is that? does a body good. Pass it on. Milk. It's like milk. <laughs> Milk's not good. But I guess it does body good in some people. Um, I guess that's it. Until next week, hail Satan, everyone. You gotta tell me to shut up. Tell me to shut up. Fuck. <laughs>